Good morning. If you have a Bible handy, you could be turning to Matthew chapter 17. Matthew chapter 17. We want to certainly say thank you to Brian and to Keith and to Joe for leading us so far in worship this morning. We want to say thank you to you for being here. I don't know if we have anyone who uh, is a true visitor in our midst, any first-timers exactly here. Uh, we were giving Campbell a hard time on the way here. He's been out for a couple of weeks with sickness and told him he may need to reacquaint himself with some folks. Uh, like we mentioned, we're glad to see uh, Miss Pat back with us and others who have been out uh, not only this time of year with sickness and things, but maybe for away from us for a while because of illness or, or needing to stay home and so we're just thankful when we can be together, as always, thankful uh, to you for being here this morning, but want to encourage you to be a part of any and all of our services, not only this day, uh, but our midweek Bible study, even as uh, Charles announced about and we've been saying uh, next Saturday morning, we look forward to a great day together for all those who can be here. All of these occasions are time for us to encourage one another, uh, to fellowship together, to remind ourselves of the journey that we are on, that we're not in this alone, uh, that God gave us his church that Jesus left behind his bride, the church that we can have one another and encourage one another through the difficult times. We can cry together. We can also laugh together. We're just thankful for your presence today as that gives us an opportunity to do many of those things. We mentioned that you would hopefully be back with us this afternoon as we look at another lesson in our book of the month club. I've already been uh, questioned once and asked if there was a new book that I've invented that's called Harmony, and there's not. Uh, but if you are familiar with a study of the New Testament, that word may sound familiar to you. And we hope that you can be back with us because we are going to finally turn the page from the Old Testament to the New Testament, even as we spent a couple of lessons on the intertestamental period. Uh, and so we'll do that this afternoon and hope that you can stay and be a part of that. I ask for you to turn to Matthew chapter 17. We're going to read a good portion of this in just a moment. As we think about being on top of the mountain, you know, I was trying to do some research and look, I, hard to say for sure, but I think we're about 30 days away from peak leaf changing season in this part of the world. You know, most folks may not care about that. For, for those of us who live in the valley or on the mountain or somewhere between the two and are always doing the driving, this is the time of year, right, that we enjoy the most as the seasons change and the weather changes and the temperature changes, but as those trees change as well. I used to drive over the mountain every day, back and forth between Dunlap and Amnicola, and I would try to make myself, especially in the fall, to take a few moments Look around and try to enjoy that drive because the mountains are truly beautiful. Many of us enjoy the mountains and enjoy this part of the world, this part of our country, because we can not only enjoy the fall season, but just in general, the beauty of the mountains that surround us. When we think about mountains, mountains are also usually indicative in our life of something that's good, right? We talk about mountaintop experiences, whether that be something like a retreat or a Bible camp or a gospel meeting, or when we're together and we have these moments, we call them mountaintop experiences. And even as we've been looking through the Old Testament so far this year, and we've talked about sort of hitting the mountaintop, the peaks, if you will, of the Old Testament, we don't have time, especially not in a Sunday lesson, to, to really dig deep into every verse of the Old Testament, but we can hit the mountaintops. We're going to talk about the top of a mountain this morning. Let's look beginning in Matthew chapter 17, and verse number one. Now, after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, led them up on a high mountain by themselves, 
and he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, let us make here three tents, or three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud, saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. Verse 6, And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their faces and were greatly afraid. But Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise and do not be afraid. And when they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. Now as they came down from the mountain, Jesus commanded them, saying, Tell the vision to no one until the Son of Man is risen from the dead. Verse 10, And his disciples asked him, saying, Why then do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? And Jesus answered and said to them, Indeed, Elijah is coming first and will restore all things. But I say to you that Elijah has come already, and they did not know him, but did to him whatever they wished. Likewise, the Son of Man is also about to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he spoke to them of John the Baptist. That, those verses there in Matthew, and there are parallel accounts, by the way, in Mark chapter 9 and in Luke chapter 9. And we're going to reference those. You may want to put a bookmark here in Matthew 17 or in Mark or Luke. But Mark 9 and Luke 9 tell the similar occasions of what we call the transfiguration. The transfiguration of Jesus on the mountain. What we want to do today is break the lesson up into two parts and consider, first of all, the moment of what takes place here. And as we think about this moment, we've already read through it, but let me encourage you that we can gain more if we really try to dig into some of what we just read through very quickly. Because this is not meant to be something that just passes by, but this is meant to be a mountaintop experience. It quite literally is for Peter, James, and John, but even as we're going to think about and come around full circle and make the application to Christ, this is truly one of the great moments in the New Testament. We talk about the resurrection. We talk about Jesus' death. We even talk about Jesus' birth. And those are all important, of course, to the story of Jesus. But so is this transforming on the mountain. The first thing we might notice about this moment this morning is that it is magnificent. It is magnificent. I don't think that we can truly do justice to what takes place here. Matthew and Mark and Luke all do their best to try to explain to us exactly what is occurring. I don't know about you if you've ever studied the transfiguration in detail before or this moment. I think even as a young person, maybe as a teenager, maybe even into college, I always envision in my mind this idea of Peter, James, and John standing or even as it talks about them falling, if you will, on their faces and Jesus and Moses and Elijah being like in the air, you know, almost in the clouds. I don't know if that was the case. As I, I've been doing more reading and thinking about it in detail. It doesn't seem they're suspended in the air, in the clouds like a movie maybe, but they're right there with them. But it is magnificent. Matthew again says that Jesus, his face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as the light. 
Can I suggest to you that we don't know a lot sometimes from the Bible about angels, at least in great detail, right? We, we don't have specific detail maybe about their clothing or the way they look. And what do we have in our world? Well, we have this envision of a halo and wings and that kind of thing, right? But what else is usually involved with that? Wearing white and, and shining bright, right? Those things go along with that as well. And maybe some of it comes from this idea of this is Jesus. I'm not saying this is an angel in any way. But when we think about Jesus being transfigured, this is the description. This holiness is described in this way. Now, Go over to Mark chapter 9 for just a moment because I want you to see how Mark describes it. I heard one preacher describe it this way, that Mark almost describes it breathlessly. Breathlessly. I read it with a human mindset and look at what Mark says beginning in chapter, Mark chapter 9 and verse 1. <coughs> excuse me, is the same occasion we just read. But look at verse 2. Now after six days... Jesus took up, took Peter, James, and John and led them up on a high mountain apart by themselves. Now try to listen to Mark breathlessly describe this. And he was transfigured before them. His clothes became shining, exceedingly white, like snow, such as no launder on earth can whiten them. And Elijah appeared to them with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And I almost picture like a child that Mark doesn't know what kind of terminology to use. It just keeps going on and on. And as a kid says, and, and this, and this, and this, in a story, Mark is doing the same thing. He's trying to describe the whiteness of what is occurring here. And like you mothers who maybe have spent a lot of money on bleach or on laundry detergent, and as I still see on Facebook today, these mothers who are begging for someone to turn their child's white baseball and softball pants back white again, right? It's a difficult task when you get the grass stains and the dirt stains in them. But Mark's description is, as no launderer on earth can whiten them. That is what is taking place here. It is magnificent in this moment. So much so that Peter, James, and John fall on their faces and they seem to turn away, right? They are not even able to behold. I envision as we do sometimes even today, covering their eyes, right? We tell our kids, don't look at the sun. What happens if you try to look at the sun, right? But you look away and you see the spot maybe where you kind of got a glimpse of the sun for just a moment, but you can't do it because it is so bright. It is so magnificent. The same thing is true of Jesus in this moment, it helps us understand that this moment is magnificent. Not just what is occurring with Jesus in this changing, this transfiguration, this transforming, but certainly the moment as well. When they are beholding Jesus in this transfigured state, I'll go back to Matthew chapter 17, maybe just for continuity this morning, but it tells us in verse 3 that two appear, and that is. Moses and Elijah. Let's talk secondly in this moment about his exodus. His exodus. When you look, go to Luke chapter 9. If you're filling in the notes, you can certainly write that down in the bulletin, baby. But go now to Luke chapter 9. We've got to take all of these together to get the full picture. But Moses and Elijah are standing there. And I have a question for you. The question that I've been trying to understand is, what do you think they were talking about? What is the conversation that is taking place here? 
We're not privy to every word or in depth how deep it went. Maybe Moses and Elijah are describing to him their mountaintop experiences, right? By the way, we don't have time this morning to dig real deep. I don't want to go too long in the lesson, but there is a very, very rich study here between Moses and Jesus. Moses was on the mountain with God, right? Moses saw that cloud, and even Elijah had God appeared to him in the storm in 1 Kings chapter 19, right? Exactly not the, not the battle that he had with Ahab and the prophets of Baal, but, but even later he has a mountaintop moment with God. Maybe they're talking about that. But Luke tells us in Luke chapter 9 and verse 31 that Moses and Elijah appeared in glory and spoke of his, the New King James says, decease. I have a note in the Bible that I'm using that says his departure. The word that's used there is his exodus. They're speaking of his departure or his exodus, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem, Luke chapter 9 and verse 31. We do get a glimpse into a little bit of what they're saying. They're speaking of his leaving, his exodus. And again, considering Moses, this is a beautiful and wonderful parallel here between what Moses went through and what Jesus is going through here. Two great men appear. Peter, James, and John are able to recognize them, understand who they are. Which leads us to our third point this morning and trying to break it down a little more because we see our friend who we love so much because he reminds us sometimes of us, and that's impetuous Peter. You see, Peter likes to speak, right? Which some of us do. Some of us are a little more quieter than others. Some of us like to kind of speak a lot, maybe or talk a lot. Maybe you know someone like that, or maybe that describes you. Peter likes to talk a lot. And in this moment, Peter is going to speak. And Peter is going to say two things. One of those things is correct. One of those things is not correct. I'm still in Luke chapter 9 just from being opened up there. But in Luke chapter 9 and verse 33, then it happened as they were parting from him that Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. That's the correct thing. It was good for them to be there. They were brought up by Jesus to that moment, that magnificent moment to experience it, and it was good for them to be there. But he continues on. And let us make three tents or three tabernacles, if you will, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. But here's the problem this time. He's not correct. You see, that's not what needs to happen. He's trying to do something good, but as Peter so often does, it is something that is not good. As we said, he is impetuous Peter, and how do we know that? Well, if you're still there in Luke chapter 9, verse 33 tells us at the end, he was not knowing what he said. Not knowing what he said. In Mark chapter 9, in verse number 6, it says, because he did not know what to say, for they were greatly afraid. What does impetuous Peter do? Well, when something's going in an uncomfortable, kind of awkward way, he just starts talking. He just kind of spouts off. And as is sometimes the case with Peter in this situation, he does one thing good, but one thing that's not so good. It's not correct. It was not proper for them to build three tents or three tabernacles here, and we'll get to more on that in just a moment. But impetuous Peter 
even as Mark and Luke record for us by inspiration, speaks up. He speaks up. But then finally, in this occasion, as we think about the moment in particular, we see the Father. We see the Father. Back in Matthew chapter 17 now, in verse number 5, that while he, that's Peter, was still speaking, still saying these things, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud, saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. There's a host of characters that are involved in this moment by the time that we're done. We begin with, with Jesus taking Peter, James, and John up to the mountaintop. Moses and Elijah appear, and by the end, there is the Father. The cloud arrives, if you will, and again, harken back to Exodus 24 and other places where Moses interacted with God through the cloud. A great study there. But the Father arrives, and the Father, Father makes his voice heard. And this is a powerful moment. I don't know fully that we can understand or even explain what it would have been like to be there. We think about Jesus' death on the cross right in those last few moments as he cries out and he gives up his spirit, as the veil of the temple is torn, as the earthquake occurs, and even we go forward in the gospel accounts and we think about the resurrection. There are many wonderful moments, but this is one here as well. It concludes, I didn't have a slide for it or have it in your notes, but it concludes with Peter, James, and John looking up after having their faces turned away and seeing no one but Jesus. It's like a movie. I, that's the best way we can describe it, in that it's almost like a vision. All of a sudden, this magnificence occurs, and you turn around, and it's gone. And Jesus tells them, as he said in other times, do not tell anyone about this. Do not tell anyone what you just witnessed until the Son of Man is risen from the dead. Until the Son of Man is risen from the dead. And Peter is later going to write about this fact. In fact, if you're making notes there, if you're writing down, you can jot down 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 16 through 21. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 16 through 21. We don't have time to dig deep into that, but Peter makes mention back to this moment. He says, For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Peter's referencing back to the transfiguration on the mount there in 2 Peter chapter 1. And again, there's a great study to be had in connection there. But for the sake of time this morning, we won't dig too deep into that. That's the moment. But what then, of course, is the message for us? What is the message? As we think in more detail, that, that's, that's great. That's wonderful that this happened. It must have been important for Peter, James, and John. But does it mean anything for us? Number one, we would notice that the message for us is, is that Jesus is the Son of God. You know, it doesn't get much plainer than this moment, right? But, but here it is. The magnificent of the moment, magnificence of the moment, the voice of the Father, and the statement, this is my beloved Son. You're familiar with that, right? Because you hear it, first of all, as far as chronologically from Matthew chapter 3 and verse 17 and Mark chapter 1 and verse 11 as they recount for us the baptism of Jesus. How do we know that's an important moment? 
Maybe because the voice of God is heard and he says, this is my beloved son. He makes this statement. This moment in time serves to remind us that Jesus is truly the son of God so that we can make the same statement. You go forward in Matthew's account, Matthew chapter 27 and verse number 54, and what happens there is the centurion and those with him, specifically the centurion, having witnessed all these things. We just talked about it. The veil of the temple, he may not have witnessed that there in that moment, but the earthquake and all that is surrounding the death of Jesus, the centurion witnessing these things says, this is the Son of God. What do we do today? Maybe not in a similar sense, but sometimes we look around us and we say, this is God, right? Again, thinking back to the mountain, thinking back to the, the fall change, the season change, we sometimes look around us and we say, how wonderful God is. This moment that we've tried to break down is important because it's a reminder that he is the Son of God. What about all those miracles he did? Those two. What about his death and his burial and his resurrection? Those two. But specifically here, God comes forth to say again with his voice, this is my beloved son, which leads us to secondly, his authority, because then God says, hear him, <clears throat> hear him. He is now the one. Jesus is now the one. And the connection here is that there is no more Old Testament, right? Or there's going to be no more Old Testament. Before, he's not given his life yet here, of course, in Matthew, Mark, or Luke. He's about to, but he's pointing the way towards this event. Even so, that's what they're talking about. They're talking about his exodus. And so God is making a statement, and this is a moment in which we can understand Jesus' authority. We know the scriptures, Colossians chapter 2 and verse 14, that Jesus has made us alive together with him. And having wiped out the handwriting of the ordinances or the requirements that was against us, he has taken it out of the way and he's nailed it to the cross. You see, that's Paul speaking in Colossians about Jesus' death and the fact that that, that was the end of the old law, the end of the Old Testament in the sense that we are no longer living under that. Jesus has nailed it to the cross and he now has the authority. What about Hebrews chapter 1 verses 1 and 2? That God has spoken before to the fathers and to the fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. By his son. Jesus is the one with the authority. And the voice of the father says, hear him. But also, think about in this moment, Peter has said, hey, Here's Moses and Elijah, let us build three tents or three tabernacles. But when they, after they have had their eyes looking down away from the cloud and they raise their eyes once again, Moses and Elijah are gone and only one remains. It's the one who has the authority. It's the one who needs to be heard. As they raise their eyes again in this wonderful moment to look, only one person remains and it's Jesus. Moses and Elijah were important. They were important to the Jews as they studied these Old Testament things. But there is one who has authority. It's the Son of God. It is Jesus. And we must listen to him. When God says, this is my beloved son, what does he say? 
Does he say, this is my beloved son? Listen to the things that you agree with. Does he say, this is my beloved son? Listen to just what makes sense to you. Does he say, this is my beloved son? Listen to what you like or listen to what he says that works for you. Or does he say, this is my son? Hear him. These two last two points were kind of connected, but the point is he has the authority. We must listen to him. Remember and recall in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, we commonly refer to it as the Great Commission, right? And we hear the words, go and make disciples, baptizing them and teaching them. And sometimes we emphasize so much that we are to be going and making and baptizing and teaching that we forget the beginning of that. That before Jesus says, here's what you do, he says, all authority has been given to me. He lays out the case that he has the authority and we must listen to him. It is the power that he has to give the command. It's not just go and teach, but it's all authority has been given to me. And here in this moment, this magnificent moment, his glory has been revealed and God says, listen to him. Listen to him. He's been transformed on the mount and he is the one, the son of God, who has the authority. Listen to him. But finally this morning, we must also realize that we must be changed too. We must be changed too. We will not be and cannot be, in a literal sense, transformed or transfigured as he was, right? I'm not suggesting, I hope you understand, that in no way are we going to become as white as snow, are we going to shine as a light in a physical sense in this transfiguration, but we must be changed. Turning your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, it's a well-known passage. I feel like I heard so many different youth devotionals and youth days over Romans 12, 1 and 2, and, and our young people may feel the same way. But the interesting thing about what takes place in Matthew 17 and specifically in Mark 9 is the word that is used <coughs> Pardon me, to say that Jesus has been transfigured is a word that you are familiar with because the Greek word is metamorpho. You hear in it what you studied in school, many of us long ago, metamorphosis, right? As we think about the changing. That word is used four times in the New Testament. We're going to leave one of them out for the sake of time and study this morning. One is in Matthew chapter 17, one is in Mark chapter 9, and the third is in Romans chapter 12 and verse number 2. And do not be conformed to this world, but be metamorpho, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. This is the other occasion on which this word is used. We will not shine as white as snow. We will not be as bright as the sun. We will not be transfigured the same way that Jesus was changed there on that mountain. But we must change too. We must change in the sense, of course, as Paul says here, that we need to be a living sacrifice, not conforming to the world, but changed 
from the world. If you are here this morning and you have been baptized for the remission of your sins, hopefully you experience that change. And as we're about to do in just a moment when we sing the song of encouragement, is we ask you if you've never experienced that change to do that, but also if you did experience it in the moment, you might have changed back, right, into the ways of the world. Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed. Be changed. We need to be changed too. This transfiguration of Jesus on the mount is a wonderful moment, moment in which we see the glory of the Son. We see the glory of Jesus Christ. He is the Son of God. We are no longer to follow the Old Testament. We talked about Colossians 2 and other passages in which, which we read that, but this is significant. As, even as Peter references it later in 2 Peter chapter 1, we need to hear him, not just the parts we like, not just the parts we agree with, but we must listen to him and we must, because of that, be changed too. The transfiguration of Jesus is a wonderful occasion and there is such a rich study here that we've touched the surface on this morning as we think about that magnificent moment. You can be changed this morning, even as we conclude this lesson, you can be changed by being in Christ, putting on Christ in baptism. And if you're here this morning and you've never done that, we will sing a song of encouragement that we can encourage you to make a change, to be changed. If you have questions because you, you want to know more, we would study with you as soon as possible because it is the most important decision that one can make to put Christ on in baptism, have your sins washed away by the blood of Christ, and to be added to the church. Maybe you've done that in times past, but as we also sing a word of encouragement, maybe you have changed back and been conformed to the world, and you need to be changed again. You don't have to get into the water, of course, as we say time and time again. You can repent of your sins before God, be willing to change, ask for forgiveness, and he is faithful to do just that. One of our elders will be coming forward in just a moment to, to pray with you and for you, and as we often say, there's no better group of people assembled here than those who are here just now to pray with you and for you because we love you. We want you to be changed. We all want to be changed. And whether you need to change in becoming a Christian or come back to him, we seem to encourage you as we stand together.